1: in the San Francisco Bay Area who's been socially conscious and listened to radio in the past few decades most likely knows the sign off. If you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own. In more than three decades, a Jewish Nebraskan who was transplanted to San Francisco in the turbulent 60s and became an alternative newsman on the original FM progressive rock station, KSAN, later on KFOG, and has described himself as a kind of mongrel bohemian with a beatnik head and hippie heart, has delighted and challenged audiences throughout the country. His name is Wes Scoopnisker and he's the focus for this edition of New Dimensions. Wes Scoop Nisker is a Buddhist meditation teacher, author, radio commentator, and performer. The best of Nisker's radio commentaries from the 1960s and 1970s were collected in an hour-long national public radio special entitled, A Decade in Your Ear. He's also the founder and co-editor of the Theravada Buddhist journal, Inquiring Mind. He has studied Buddhist meditation for three decades with teachers in Asia and America. And since 1993, he's been leading his own retreats and workshops in Buddhist insight, meditation, and philosophy at venues internationally, including the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California. He's an affiliate teacher at the Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Woodacre, California. His widely praised books include The Essential Crazy Wisdom, The Big Bang, The Buddha, and The Baby Boom, Buddha's Nature, and Crazy Wisdom Saves the World Again, Handbook for a Spiritual Revolution. Join us for the next hour as we turn our heads around, listen to our hearts, and wiggle our toes with our guest, Wes Scoop-Nisker. My name is Michael Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Scoop, welcome.
2: Thank you, Michael. It's always a delight to be here in this studio and uh, be with you.
1: Yeah, we've been doing it doing it a while, haven't we?
2: Yes, we go way back, really? and uh, it just gets better and better. Better and better. Uh, we we uh, we improve with age. Mm. I, yeah, I think so, too. I certainly feel feel good. I feel good. You feel good? I, I feel good sometimes, yeah. yeah. When I feel myself, yeah. I, when, I, when I'm present, I check in and I say, how am I feeling? And uh, usually I come up with pretty good. Mm-hmm.
1: So this book, Crazy Wisdom Saves the World Again, um, Handbook for a Spiritual
2: Revolution. What's the motivation to do this one? You know, the motivation was uh, to delight and uh, impart uh, a message that I've been interested in obsessed with over the last couple decades, and that is a shift of identity uh, from thinking of ourselves as psychological beings, uh, primarily individuals, with our individual stories and dramas, and beginning to identify ourselves as um, homo sapien, as earthling. Now, there's an identity for you, you know? I mean, we we live on this rock, and we have a uh, uh, we have appeared due to the struggles and efforts of many different forms of life over the last three and a half billion years or so. And if what if we could take that story personally and really begin to sense ourselves as integral and integrated with all the rest of the life of the planet? We really need that that kind of shift of identity if we're going to survive and not destroy our home. And so that's been of primary interest to me to, you know, to work on that shift. I've often felt in my Buddhist meditation practice that that's what I was doing, that paying attention to the breath and the heartbeat and watching my mind sort of have a mind of its own. I I realize how much of nature, how much of the past is actually living through me rather than me doing anything. Uh, And so I I wanted to to re-emphasize that message, and I also— you know i my mind naturally goes to humor i don't uh, you know it just has been doing that ever since i can remember uh i find our human situation odd uh funny uh absurd at times and uh, basically unknowable and you know we're all struggling to try to find some answers and reasons and uh, uh but i just i, I just uh, i have to laugh quite often uh, if we go back to the the 60s uh
1: even into the early 70s, so who are the characters that you remember most? Who are the characters that stand out for you? 60s, uh,
2: 70s? Well, uh, I was always, as you said, and I really appreciate in your introduction to me, you said that I, w- I have a beatnik head and a hippie heart, which is how I described myself. Uh, I was really drawn to the beatniks. I was really drawn to uh, Allen Ginsberg in particular and Gary Snyder, uh, who kind of represented two ends of, of the, the beat movement. Uh, Gary Snyder being a serious scholar and a you know serious meditator and went off to Japan for ten years, and Allen Ginsberg being a kind of uh, social uh, activist uh, kind of hero, chanting at 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 anti-war rallies and and his poetry was very strong and kind of you know uh, denouncing the evils of the world and whereas Gary Snyder was much more in nature and so those 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 were the figures that I really you know was excited to. to they were my heroes and then I got to meet them and interview them on the radio you know as how, how lucky. Um, and I think all, all my life I've been attracted to jokers and jesters and comedians and you know the, the tricksters of our, of our society who remind us basically that we really uh, you know it, <laughs> we really don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> <laughs> in spite of all the, the, the answers that we've come up with that we would like to believe, Growing up in, in, in Nebraska. Yeah, that that's funny. I mean, that's funny. that's <laughs> yeah, right. Funny.
1: I mean, how in the world, did, how did it happen that you came to California, came to San Francisco? Uh,
2: well, you know, it was a matter of how, how soon can I leave Nebraska and uh, <laughs> which direction should I go, to the East Coast or the West Coast? You know, it was always, life was always happening on the coast. It was always happening in the city, you know. Uh, so... I luckily chose the West Coast. I think luckily. I mean, I just love sensibilities of the culture of the Northwest Coast, Washington, California. Yeah, one of the things I was
1: struck by in the early in the early part of Crazy Wisdom, serves the world again, uh, saves the world again. Actually, serves the world too. That's a good one too. Yeah, uh, the
2: Department of Wisdom. Tell us about the Department of Wisdom. Oh yes, the Department of Wisdom. Well, if 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 elected, <laughs> if if I were president or king. Um, we have all these intelligence agencies, you know, and all they are doing uh, out there gathering facts and figures and— um, I think The word intelligence is rather loosely used. <laughs> yes. Why don't we have a Department of Wisdom in the government? And uh, the Department of Wisdom would be run by historians and anthropologists and uh, some mystics maybe and some— poets. And, and and poets. Poets. Oh, yes, some poets and some jesters and some comedians— People who think a little bit more with the right hemisphere than just the left hemisphere, which the generals and the economists, uh, you know, and politicians, they they think for their left hemisphere all alone, you know. So for a balance of powers, we uh, a Department of Wisdom would add the right hemisphere. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's time has come. We're, we're definitely in, in need of some wisdom.
1: Wouldn't it be wonderful if in the halls of Congress, in, in the— in the Senate chamber, in the House chamber, that there would be a, a couple, a clown and a court jester that would would run down the <laughs> high hole, you know, and 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 make fun and poke poke fun, and
2: it would just so be great. Absolutely, well, they used to have it in the King's court. Yeah, of uh, course. We just haven't made room for it in our democratic uh, institutions, our parliaments, you know. But we're, it's definitely needed. Um, I have a whole in 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 the performance uh, piece that I do. And uh, also in some of my books, I talk about um, the, uh, the intentional decline and fall and that, that the United States should actually resign as a superpower rather than putting the world through a, a big struggle and trying to hold on to our power and privilege, that we should see the writing on the wall and actually uh, resign. And then I have a, a transition government putting together some public works projects called under a five-year plan called the Great Leap Backward. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I have all sorts of government agencies that I would set up. Uh, aside from a Department of Wisdom, I would set up a Department of Meditation and Therapy, which would set up deprogramming centers around the country and teach hyperactive American workers how to become less productive members of a less productive <laughs> society. Uh, the government would pay people by the hour to work on themselves. Great idea. Uh, yeah, it is a great idea, you know. Uh, and and uh, anyway, there are any number of of gov- new government <laughs> agencies I have in mind. Uh, I don't know when we'll get there, but maybe someday, maybe in my next lifetime. Yeah. Well, you probably ought to send a copy of the book to uh, along to Obama.
1: Yes. You are also talking about who's God. Who's God is you know, who is God? Who's God? It, who, it, different cultures, different people. They are. It's like you know, who's God is better? Who's God is different? Uh, and, and the summit meeting of gods. <laughs> yes. I like the summit meeting of gods.
2: <laughs> well, I've always had this, you know, I, I've always had this uh, fantasy that someday, you know, the heavens will part and we will hear this booming voice saying, you all got my name wrong, you know. <laughs> 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 but it's so obvious. I mean, if you look at history. And I forgive you. <laughs> yes, and I forgive you, right. <laughs> That's right. How do You remembered the kicker. It's so obvious, and that's what, if we had a department of wisdom, we could actually point out to some people that, you know, if you look back at history, for instance, uh, um, descendants of a family living near the Mediterranean could have gone from uh, believing in Kronos, to believing in Zeus, to believing in Jupiter, to believing in Jehovah, and then adding Jesus in just five millennia. So, even among the gods, there is occasional regime change, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, somebody said, uh, the God you believe in is as determined by where and who you were born to as your language, you know? I mean— is the it de- it God Italian? Well, <laughs> you know, God—my uh, image of God is a, an Italian, right? I think a lot of our image of God is—images of God are Italian here in the West because the Italians painted God, you know, more than anybody else— You'll remember the Jews said uh, we weren't supposed to have a graven image of of God, which saved us a lot of money on statues. But then the Italians inherited the the Jewish God and couldn't resist trying to paint him, and so we got that guy with the uh, an aging Bohemian God, you know, with the long flowing white beard and the long reaching out to the hand. Yes. Okay. So um, you want me to read here? I'll read this. I have a modest suggestion for how we can deal with humanity's God problems. First of all, we call all the gods together for a summit meeting. Maybe this meeting could be held on Mount Olympus or somewhere in the Himalayas where there are already a lot of gods around who could host the gathering. There will have to be separate tables. Bacchus needs wine, whereas Buddha won't touch the stuff. Demeter wants corn for dinner, Jehovah likes lamb, Zoroaster wants candles for a centerpiece, while Tor would like an ice sculpture. Once we get all the gods together, we would beseech them, all of us beseeching our own particular deity, to do humanity a great big favor and decide on a common name. Since I'm the only one working on this project, I'll take the liberty to propose this new name. First of all, if you'll notice, many of the names we already use for deities end in the syllable Ah, Jehovah, Allah, Brahma, Tara, Diana, Krishna. So maybe we could get all the gods to accept the common nickname Ah. It's a perfect name. Ah is the first sound that most of us make when we are born. Wah, wah, ah. And the last sound we make as we die, crying or sighing, ah. So the first moments of our life would automatically become a prayer, and the last moments, ah, would be a sigh, signaling our complete release from this hard duty as a human. I suppose people could still use their special tribal names for God, but emphasize the last vowel, ah, and we would all agree that we are talking about the same ultimate, almighty Ah uh, who is totally awesome.
1: You're listening to Scoop Nisker and Scoop is the author of many books but this one Clean Clean Crazy Wisdom Saves the World Again Handbook for a Spiritual Revolution. My name is Michael Toms and you're listening to New Dimensions. <laughs> So my guest is Scoop Nisker, and Scoop is the author of a number of books, including The Essential Crazy Wisdom, The Big Bang, The Buddha, and The Baby Boom, another book, book called Buddha's Nature, and um, which is uh, available in paperback as well. These are all available in paperback, actually. And you can go to the website, ScoopNisker.com, and uh, so that's Scoop, S-C-O-O-P, Nisker, dot rcom You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. So, Scoop, there was a little more to the, the, the naming of the gods, so can we continue?
2: Yes. Ah is one possibility for God's name. Another possibility is to give our highest deity the name Ma, which is the same word in many human languages referring to mother. Then, instead of looking up as we pray toward our Father who art in heaven, we would look down at the earth, the womb of all life, the goddess who the Greeks called Gaia. There's another Ah for you. Maybe we could even use both names, Ah and Ma. We could divide God into two, a male and female, yin and yang, just as it was for a few clever humans in our ancient history. Ah, Ma. Ma, Ah. Aha, Ma. That The possibilities for songs and praises are endless.
1: <laughs> so, like, these uh, little vignettes. So talk about
2: your your the uh, stand-up show that you do. Uh, well... Uh, I don't know. It must be fifteen, twenty years now. I've been doing little comedic riffs and songs at various Buddhist venues and uh, transpersonal psychology conferences and uh, new age venues. Anyway, um, in the last ten years or so, people encouraged me to you know take it out um, further into the public, and so I've uh, I I actually kind of organized an act, a, a monologue, a comic monologue with a number of original songs and uh, began performing in legitimate theaters. And I've been performing in San Francisco at the Marsh Theater. And I just did a, a couple of weekends at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. And and these were sold out shows and people are really responding because my my show is about evolution and it's about the Big Bang, and it's about the baby boom generation, it's got a lot of uh, sort of big overviews, you know, of history and uh, physics and and biology, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, there's a lot of jokes, but it also gives gives people a real sense of uh, being part of something bigger than than just you know today's culture and poking fun at this this celebrity or that you know. Perhaps we could hear the Baby Boomer song. Absolutely. Now, this, I'll, let me just preface yeah, it by listen. saying that uh, uh, I talk about how you don't get to choose when you live, you know, and here we are in the year 2008 or 9 A.D. We're, you know, we're we're here we are at the end of the aughts in a <laughs> right. A.D. That, but that's, of course, if you follow the the Christian calendar. I mean, I, I don't think it's actually fair that we should all have to follow that calendar. There should be separation of church and date. Yes. And, uh, you know, the Jews uh, are still in the, a decade of the 60s, 57, 69, the last time I looked.
1: And the Mayans, they they had a 13-day lunar calendar. Yeah. They didn't have weekends.
2: I My sense is that, you know, a division of time is rather arbitrary. So why don't we bring all humanity together under the same calendar? We could start counting from say the beginning of our species, which would make this about you know arguably the year 1 million. be a little hard to write on your checks, but it would give us more of a sense of where we're coming from, how long this 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 trip has been. Uh, of course, we're if we're part of this universe, then this is the year 13.7 billion ABB after the Big Bang. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that would really be hard to write on your checks. Of course, if you're Hindu or Buddhist, you know, you have universe after universe after. I mean, you know, it's just, you don't know what the hell time it is, you know? (laughs) So, and I think that's why they invented the here and now. (laughs) Just keep it simple, you know, because you don't know what time it is. Anyway, (laughs) that's a silly, uh, that's a long preface for for this song, actually. The song is about how we, we don't choose the time that we will be alive in the cultural moment, the uh, historical era. And if we look back at history, we realize that most of us who have been living through the last 50 to 75 to 100 years here in America, in the West, in the overdeveloped world, uh, we've been having a golden age. It's been a time of unprecedented freedom and uh, and abundance. So this song is About all the all the things that we were brought up to believe we could have and get and do and eat uh, during our lifetime, one thing, however, that we we didn't figure on, and that we may have started to learn, is that desire is endless. If there's any one lesson our civilization has taught us, it's that desire is endless, and also satisfaction in life is uh, is geared to expectations. And some of us grew up with very great expectations, told that we could have it all. You can go anywhere you want to go, eat anything you want to eat, own anything you want to own. That's right, you can be anyone you want to be. Be the president of the USA or be bent any which way. You can be a fool, be cool, be a somebody or nobody home, a contender or pretender to the throne, be a drone or the queen, be be a buyer, a seller, a singer or a teller of tales or a lifter of bales, be a banker, a golfer, a wanker, a rolfer, a CEO, a CPA, an SOB, an MFA, or really go far and be a rock and roll star. Or maybe you could even be a deity Be God by God Then you can be everyone you want to be Simultaneously Cause you can be, you can own, you can eat, you can go You can own, oh yeah You can own anything you want to own own a house or three maybe 20 TVs get a piece of the rock why not own a whole block you could even own a wilderness and i guess a mountain could be yours or a lake or an island you could even own a country of your own call it my land own a thousand pair of shoes any cure for the blues the pills the thrills don't worry about the bills you got credit cards checks you can even pay in dollars if there's anything you want just holler Own a classic piece of art The original rendition Or the first edition Of your favorite creation And maybe you could even Buy yourself a revelation Or buy yourself a new start A new part A new nose A new chin A new heart A new do A new you Cause you can be You can own You can eat You can go You can be can eat. Oh, you can eat anything you want to eat. You are the main man, top of the food chain man. You can eat high on the hog, eat the legs of the frog, the brains or the stomach or the toes of any creature that you meet. And if you don't like their color, you can dye them before you fry them. And if you don't like their texture, you can get them tenderized before you bite into their thighs. Have some fauna, some flora, come on, have some more. have some fowl, some fish, have another dish, and don't forget the cow. And how would you like that prepared in a steak or a burger or a stew or moo You are the main man, an American man. You can eat any cuisine on the planetary scene. Japanese, Gavanese, Indian, Armenian, fast food, hot food, raw food, you got food, so eat. And then go. Yeah, cause you can go on vacation just to visit any nation. Take a notion, get in motion, and just go to the mountains or the prairies or the oceans white with foam. Leave home. Now you could go to Walla Walla, but I don't know why you want to when you could go to Oaxaca or get a nice palapa in Hawaii or Fiji. Or well, why not go to Fiji and go diving in the reefs or roll yourself a sleeve in Jamaica or take a nice safari to Nairobi or the Gobi? Or go up the Himalaya to Shambhala Or up the Alps to Valhalla Or go visit the Maori Or go looking for Satori in Japan, man! Oh yeah, but... If you really, truly wanna, you could travel to Nirvana. That's right And escape the desires of this crazy creation Uh Uh-huh Get off the wheel of birth and death and reincarnation Uh Uh-huh Get off the wheel that keeps you always being, and owning, and eating, and going, and being, and owning, and eating, and going, and get off the wheel. Get off the wheel. Great piece. Yeah,
1: wonderful.
2: Yeah. Lots of images there. Yeah, a lot of images. And, uh, you know, we had so much to desire that what we, a lot of us ended up wanting was the end of desire. It's not that easy to, to have, have too many options, too many choices. Yeah,
1: you know, just saying when I say lots of images, it reminds me that when one listens, like here we are listening to this piece, and it does bring up pictures. It, radio creates pictures in the mind. Which is so wonderful. It's so much more clear than television, where the images are already provided for you. You don't have to work. You know? Yes. Uh, so when you listen, and particularly a storyteller like you, uh, it just you know it's
2: like you, your mind roams through a whole uh, landscape of possibilities. It's true. It's true. And I know that you and I mean I also uh, we've been in radio all our all our professional lives, and we love it. Uh, it's true. Uh, I call it the happy medium, because uh, it, it doesn't provide you with all the information. It really uh, engages you. you. You have to participate. You have to be there. Fall into that sound, all of those voices, those images. So one of the things that intrigued me was
1: the first church of scientific science. And, and you're someone who
2: got, through,
1: actually through meditation, you got interested in science.
2: Yeah, I, I, in college, you know, growing up, I wasn't really interested in science. I, I saw it as just a lot of facts that uh, you had to memorize and regurgitate, you know, and uh, the names of the elements and, the, you know, how, uh, how the blood system works. And, but then as I began to meditate, I, I really, first of all, I think I got in touch with my biology you know that I had never really been connected to the fact that I was uh, a living, breathing being. But I also, and, and I also began to realize that science is really about me. <laughs> I started to take it personally. You know, uh, and more and more as I read about, say, um, evolutionary biology, and how. You know, they discovered that we have a fully functioning reptilian brain and a fully functioning mammalian brain inside our skull, uh, and uh, of course, the new human brain. And there's some speculation among serious scientists that we use the new human brain mostly to make excuses for the behavior generated by the other two brains. But I, you know, as I, and I'm a, as I'm sitting in meditation, I'm re, I read a piece like that, and I'm sitting in meditation, and I'm seeing, I'm I'm experiencing what the evolutionary sciences are telling me about how my behavior happens and how decisions are made in my, in my system, in my nervous system. And it really came, started coming alive for me. So, uh, yeah, it, I, I found that.
1: I'm speaking with Wes Scoopnisker. He's the author of Crazy Wisdom, Saves the World Again, Handbook for a Spiritual Revolution. And the website is ScoopNisker.com. That's S-C-O-O-P.
2: Yeah, or, or, or Wes com, Yeah, or Wes Nisker.com. wesniske W E S N I S K E R, Either one. Yeah, either one will get you there. Okay. And you can also get there
1: through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. Definition, God is the shortest distance between zero and infinity. In which direction, one may ask? We shall reply that his first name is not Jack, but plus and minus. And one should say, plus or minus God is the shortest distance between zero and infinity, in either direction. <laughs> That's Alfred Jerry, Dadaist philosopher. The First Church of Scientific Science. And what is that? script Scoop, what is that, Scoop?
2: Well, uh it's my take on uh on uh how we might ritualize and develop an organization where we could use science which we all kind of believe in i mean mo- m- most of us many of us uh but we haven't found a way to somehow ritualize it and make it you know uh personal make it uh Part of our spiritual life so uh, I'll read you yes the new uh, church made out of science the first church of scientific science and we'll go inside Saint Isaac and Albert's Cathedral the ceiling is a large circular planetarium which revolves with the Earth and displays an accurate view of the heavens to the very limit of astronomical exploration. With computer graphics, the scene on the ceiling is expanding at the same rate as the universe itself. In the naves of the cathedral are holograms of the saints of science, each of them, at the moment of their revelation, Heraclitus standing in his ever-changing river. Galileo looking through his telescope at the stars, Euclid with his ruler and triangle, Newton with a ripe apple on his head, Einstein at the blackboard with his chalk and pipe, Schrodinger with his cat on his shoulder, and Heisenberg looking uncertain. The stained-glass windows around the chapel show us scenes from the story of evolution. Present-day Homo sapiens sapiens is pictured first as you enter the church, so that as you approach the altar you are moving backward in time, and just before you reach the altar, the second to the last of the windows shows a one-celled organism, the last window filled with a double helix strand of DNA. On stage, at the back of the church, on either side of the altar, sit two giant statues, replicas of a hydrogen and helium atom. All across the back wall of the church, electrified models of other atoms, enlarged of course, are spinning in their orbits, crashing into each other, exploding into flashes of light and giving churchgoers a sense of the ever-changing dynamic reality of charged particles. In the center, where the crucifix or ark of the Torah normally stands, is the sacred symbol of the first church of science. It is an emblem of six white dots on a field of black, a representation of the six known quarks, the ground of being, the holy sextet up, down, top, bottom, strange, and charmed. Amen. The black field represents the emptiness from which it all sprang, or the black hole from which it all emerged, or perhaps. The dark area, the last mystery, still to be solved, the first cause. We enter the church during prayers. The congregation, all dressed in white lab coats, is reciting the liturgy, the table of basic elements. Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon special emphasis is given to the last syllable of each word making the cathedral resonate with ums and ons soon the supplicants will bow their heads and pray that somebody will come up with a unified field theory finally the congregation will chant the church of sciences great mantra a mantra that not only contains the seed syllable of the universe but also is the name of the seed itself the sacred mantra om Atom, ahum, Atom, ahum, Atom, ahum. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Again, the images are sparkling. Yes, I really I really love that first Church of Science. I, I want to go there before I die. St. <laughs> Isaac's Cathedral.
1: Yeah, St. Isaac and St. Albert. St. Albert's
2: Cathedral, yes.
1: Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein. Mm-hmm.
2: Perfect. That's perfect. So this is part of the part of the standup. Uh, that the first Church of Science actually isn't. I haven't incorporated that into my show. Oh, okay. but uh, I do a whole I do a whole series of uh, stories about the, about the nature of subatomic reality and the Big Bang and just the phenomenal discoveries that have been made and just and in our lifetime. I mean, it's been so recent. When you think back; it's been less than a hundred years that we discovered uh, first discovered proof that there were other galaxies and now we have pictures i mean I, you've seen these pictures they travel around on the internet of billions of galaxies not solar systems galaxies yes and there you know and the universe continues to expand and, and the universe continues to expand i i sometimes wonder why how how people can sort of go on after knowing this, or we're reading in the paper, I remember sometime in the mid-90s reading about the Hubble telescope sending back a picture of a nickel-sized piece of the sky, and they had just found 20 million new galaxies. Why the entire population of the planet didn't fall to its knees in some kind of awe or, or, or swoon of—I of, uh, mean, you could either look at it as this really makes us insignificant— or this really makes us part of something really grand, you know? I mean, you could be inflated by, by that information, or you could be completely deflated. How can you not grasp that there's another energy, there's an energetic in the universe operating?
1: Yeah, how that, can you that, doubt it? How can one doubt it?
2: Yeah, or the physics speculation that there, there may be seven other dimensions to reality makes you think about, well, okay, yeah, we we live in four dimensions. We see a, a specific kind of reality, but th- it's just one kind of reality that allows us to move through our world and survive. But seven more dimensions to reality? I mean, I think it's probably a good thing that they didn't appear in our universe because... Uh, Think how much harder it would be to find your car keys if there were seven more dimensions to reality. Maybe oh, eight, maybe nine. There may be <laughs> crevices all over the place, and there may, one of those dimensions may be full of uh, lost socks, you know. Or there may one of those dimensions may be where birds go to die. They found the 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 entry entry point, and they go because nobody has ever seen where the birds are dying, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not to mention the elephants. So anyway, once upon a spacetime, and it begins with this wonderful quote from Ludwig Wittgenstein, that the world is, is the mystical. We have a new creation myth being told by our species.
2: Once upon a space-time. Uh,
1: yeah, read a little bit of it.
2: Yes, we do. We have a new creation myth being told by our, our species, a new story about the origins and workings of the universe. It is the story of the evolution of the cosmos, and therefore a new story about you and me. If there are beings on another planet in a different galaxy, it is their story too. This is universal pictures. We'll begin our new story at the very beginning, and even though this is the scientific story of the universe, we can at least start with the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, and since this is a creation myth, we should try to put some Appropriate flourishes in. In the beginning, saith the scientists, there was nothing and it was good. At least we can presume it was good. Nothing could ever be wrong with nothing. According to the scientists, in the beginning, there wasn't even any space, so there was no place to put anything. In the beginning, they say there wasn't any time, so there were no beginnings, no endings, nothing ever got done, and nobody cared. (laughs) Therefore, let it be said again. It was good. And so it came to pass that 13.7 billion years ago today, well, we can't be sure about today being the actual anniversary of the birth of the universe, but it certainly could have been. 13.7 billion years ago today, there occurred an auspicious event called the Big Bang. But if nothing existed, then what banged? A few people uh, raised this question. A little while later, some scientists decided there must have been something after all. They called it a singularity, which they describe as particle-like and smaller than an atom, but infinitely dense. There's a a wonderful
1: note on that that sentence, which says, remember, when scientists say infinitely, they really
2: mean it. (laughs) Yes, they really mean it, I know. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, this is our new creation myth, you know. I mean, it doesn't answer the ultimate questions, you know, what was there before, you know, why is this happening? And the the ultimate question, I think, why, which which may never be answered, at least not for to beings of our intelligence, you know, that we, we just don't have the wherewithal to understand it, which is what what the existentialists arrived at. You know, they said the universe is absurd because humans just, don't have the the smarts to to understand it. Why is this happening? What is this life? You know, these quotes that are interspersed through the book. Uh,
1: things are, this is a Zen saying. Things are not as they seem, nor are they otherwise. <laughs> yes,
2: I love so, that. That's great. The Zenies, yeah. they have always have something clever to say. <laughs>
1: Consider if your body's made out of atoms, and atoms are ninety nine percent empty space. What is holding your clothes
2: on? <laughs> Yes, it's true. You know, we we everything we perceive is made of atoms and atoms are 99.999% empty space. You know, there you you blow up the nucleus of an atom millions of times till it's the size of a grain of sand. The electron going around that nucleus will be the size of a dust mote and it'll be half a mile away. There's hardly any matter to matter. You know, so why don't we just fall through the floor and through the earth and Because it's it's just a magic act that's going on here. That's what it is. It's a sleight of hand, sleight of stuff. Uh, As as I think I say in there, uh, not only does if your body's made of atoms and atoms are mostly empty space, what is holding your clothes on? Uh, Not only does the emperor have no clothes, the clothes hardly have any emperor. (laughs)
1: Right. And you wind up with this great Samuel Beckett quote: "That nothing is more real than nothing." And as the Buddha said. Thus show we view, view the world like a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, or
2: a dream. Right. It really is rather in, insubstantial. And it's so interesting that in a civilization like ours, which is so thoroughly devoted to materialism, our scientists discover that matter may not even exist you know, E equals mc squared. At the at the core of matter is energy. Uh, one scientist says uh, matter is just gravitationally trapped light. It's all a light show. And yet we take it as all so solid and real. Uh, Sokni Rinpoche, one of my teachers in the Tibetan tradition, Tibetan Buddhist tradition, says, uh, you Westerners, you have a real problem. A real problem. You think everything is so real. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah, yeah.
2: They have much more of a sense of the effervescence of uh, of phenomena uh, in Asian wisdom traditions. You know, particularly it, the Tibetans, they laugh a lot. Yes, they do, and it they, and that understanding that it's effervescent and it's momentary, and everything is disappearing as it appears, gives them that kind of lightness because they aren't stuck anywhere. They can't stick anywhere. I'm
1: speaking with Scoop Nisker. He's the author of Crazy Wisdom Saves the World Again and Book for a Spiritual Revolution. The website is westnisker.com or scoopnisker.com, and it's N-I-S-K-E-R. And you can get there through the New Dimensions website as well, and that's newdimensions.org. My name is Michael Toms, and you're listening to New Dimensions. Mm-hmm. Scoop Nisker, and he's the author of a number of books, including The Essential Crazy Wisdom, The Big Bang, The Buddha, and The Baby Boom, and *Buddhist Nature, and others as well. You can go to the website, ScoopNisker.com or WesNisker.com. You can also get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. And Scoop, there's so many wonderful things in Crazy Wisdom Saves the World Again. I was really struck by the the numerology uh, piece. Perhaps you could
2: read that for us. Okay. Uh, This is from a a chapter called I Love Science and Numerology. I recently read that there are 100 sextillion stars in the universe. Sure. I'll go along with that. Some astronomers must have counted them. Modern science keeps presenting us with these enormous numbers, but... Most of them are meaningless in the sense of being incomprehensible to our tiny little brains and even tinier perspectives. I've now got so many of these gigantic numbers in my head that I get confused when I'm not near my notes about whether there are an estimated 50 or 100 billion galaxies and whether there are 50 or 100 trillion cells in my body, and sometimes I confuse the two categories, maybe we will discover that there are exactly as many galaxies in the universe as there are cells in our body, and that will either be a strange coincidence or a hint that reality isn't just random chaos bumping into itself. As scientists present us with all of these big numbers, it's becoming more and more convenient to be a mystic and just see it all as one. Of course, the essential question remains: Who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> Who indeed is counting? Yes, for sure. That's why I, in in my uh, show, in my monologue, I talk about uh, how in the, the new Jewish Buddhist religion, the Buddhist religion, uh, our our wisdom is transmitted through the use of knock knock jokes. The disciples come to the master and say, "Knock knock," and the master answers with the number one spiritual question. Who's there? And if you don't get the joke, if you don't get the joke, you have to be reborn over and over again until you do get it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a gas. <laughs> it is a gas. I love this piece, in, in I love science about uh, subatomic physics. They're, they're now measuring change. The Buddha, you know, emphasized uh, Anicca, uh, the 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 quality of impermanence as being a key to realization, to uh, understanding the universe and living in it happily. And, uh, and he talked about things changing millions of times in the blink of an eye, which is considered a tenth of a second uh, by scientists. And they're now measuring things that change in a millionth of a trillionth of a second. And they've given a new name to the, that amount of time. They call it an attosecond. But then they started measuring things in billionths of a trillionth of a second, and they started calling that a zeptosecond. And now they're also measuring things in trillionths of a trillionth of a second, which they call a yoctosecond. So now you've got the physicist talking about atto, Zepto, and Yocto. Now my sense of it is that they have stepped into a Marx Brothers routine where the jokes are coming so fast that you realize, uh, you know, there's no holding on at all. And uh it's it's pretty funny. Atto, Zepto, and Yocto.
1: Really, yeah. All you can
2: do is let go and laugh.
1: Yeah, for sure. The uh the poem Why I Meditate, uh, Kind
2: of uh, as a takeoff of our wonderful poet friend, uh, Alan Ginsberg. Yes, it is. He wrote a poem called Why I Meditate. And this is sort of uh, uh, another generational turn on that subject. I meditate because I suffer. I suffer, therefore I am. I am, therefore I meditate. I meditate because there are so many other things to do. I meditate because when I was younger, it was all the rage. I meditate because Siddhartha Gautama, Bodhidharma, Marco Polo, the British Raj, Carl Jung, Alan Watts, Jack Kerouac, Alfred E. Newman, et al. I meditate because I have all the information I need. I meditate because the largest colonies of living beings, the coral reefs, are dying. I meditate because I want to touch into deep time, where the history of humanity can be seen as just an evolutionary adjustment period. I meditate because evolution gave me a big brain, but it didn't come with an instruction manual. I meditate because life is too short and sitting slows it down. I meditate because life is too long and I need an occasional break. I meditate because I want to experience the world as Rumi did or Walt Whitman or as Mary Oliver does. I meditate because now I know that enlightenment doesn't exist, so I can relax. I meditate because of the Dalai Lama's laugh. I meditate because there are too many advertisements in my head and I'm erasing all but the very best of them. I meditate because the physicists say there may be 11 dimensions to reality and I want to get a peek into a few more of them. I meditate because I've discovered that my mind is a great toy, I like to play with it. I meditate because I want to remember that I'm perfectly human. Sometimes I meditate because my heart is breaking. Sometimes I meditate so that my heart will break. I meditate because a Vedanta master once told me that in Hindi my name, Nisker, means non-doer. I meditate because I'm growing old and want to become more comfortable with emptiness. I meditate because Robert Thurman called it an evolutionary sport and I want to be on the home team. I meditate because I'm composed of a hundred trillion cells and from time to time I need to reassure them that we're all in this together. I meditate because it's such a relief to spend time ignoring myself. I meditate because my country spends more money on weapons than all the other nations in the world combined. If I had more courage, I'd probably immolate myself. I meditate because I want to discover the fifth Brahma Vihara, the divine abode of awe, and then I'll go down in history as a great spiritual adept. I meditate because I'm building myself a bigger and better perspective and occasionally... I need to add a new window. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> yes. Yeah. We need as big a perspective as we can get in these days. More windows, please. Yes, and more doors. Yes. It, it leads into the next page. That had, that had a wonderful quote from Joseph
1: Campbell. The old gods are dead or dying, and people everywhere are searching, asking, what is the new mythology to be? The mythology of this unified earth as of
2: one harmonious being. Bill Joe. Yes, that is a great quote. I think that I think that's at the core of what I, I'm trying to get at in this book even, you know even with the humor and the playfulness is is uh, the new mythology and and I my sense of it is that uh, the story of evolution is a perfect new mythology, uh, an upgrade of our metaphysics and gives us a whole new sense of who we are. This is the story we're telling ourselves now, so we we should find the spiritual gold in it. You know, what is the spiritual message of the story of evolution? And that's what this this last piece in the book is about. The evolution sutra uh, is about taking uh, the story of evolution somewhat personally or spiritually.
1: If we could go to uh, that the part of the that that place where it says uh, in that chapter be here while. Um, where it starts with the cover story of a recent issue of Time magazine. Uh huh. And and perhaps we could we could go out with that with that with that uh, we go there and move on to, through the next page or two because it's, it's kind of like I think in some ways captures
2: uh, essence. Okay, it's uh, be here. What page is it? Do you it's have? on page one seventy three. Okay, thank you. The cover story of a recent issue of Time Magazine reviewed the findings of cognitive science with the headline, In Search of the Mind. And some people may have been surprised to hear that the mind was lost, and may have been even more surprised to learn that the scientists can't find it. The last paragraph of the article sums it up. Despite our every instinct to the contrary, consciousness is not some entity inside the brain that corresponds to self, some kernel of awareness that runs the show. After more than a century of looking for it, brain researchers have concluded that such a self simply does not exist. What? The self does not exist? This is not some esoteric Buddhist insight. This is science as reported in Time magazine. Why wasn't there a nationwide panic? The self that we have come to believe in is a fiction, existential smoke and mirrors. Nature has constructed such an amazing... An amazing brain that it can run this entire organism all by itself. And just to make sure we feel important, it also fools us into believing that we're in charge. This, my human friends, is your brain on evolution. You know, this awe is what I always come to at the end of science and at the end of meditation. And I I always come into this, this sense of awe. Just think earthlings. It has taken the universe 13.7 billion years to make you. A lot of work went into this being. A lot of suffering and discarded designs and tinkering with particles and forces and sensory systems. and, Okay, so you're not perfect yet, but you are a piece of the universe that can wonder about itself and move around and say hello. That's a rare occurrence, at least in our neighborhood of the Milky Way. Rejoice! As E.O. Wilson says, The chances of producing a human being through random chance in evolution would be like a hurricane blowing through a junkyard and creating a 747 airplane. There's something going on here. After a little reflection on the story of evolution, I sit in meditation and feel my own existence. I feel my breath and the sensations in my body and know that I am a part of this great show of life. Now pulsing through my body, suddenly the whole mystery of creation is inside of me and I feel intimate with all and everything. For a while, at least, my innocence is restored and my perception laced with a sense of wonder. What is breath, sentience, consciousness, aliveness? These questions are koans, a means of pointing to the mystery, a way to be here. Wow.
1: And that was Scoob Nisker. And, Scoop, thanks so much for being here with us. My pleasure, Michael. I always have a great time when I come here to New Dimensions. It's been fun. Scoop is the author of Crazy Wisdom Saves the World Again, Handbook for a Spiritual Revolution. You can get more information through going to the website westnisker.com or scoopnisker.com. My name is Michael Toms, and you've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3284.